Well, good morning. Good to have everybody back in the building after a week off last week, and good to see some of our college students back, and the, the fall's kicking up, so this is an exciting time. Um, I'm excited that we're continuing our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, um, and as you've heard this week, we're talking about Jesus' famous words, do not worry. And uh, I appreciate Angela's confidence that she didn't really have to worry, but I confess I've been worrying about the wording of this sermon all week. <laughs> Well, not unduly, not unduly. Truly, my my experience with preaching is even when I start getting concerned, the Holy Spirit always provides in some way, um, even in ways that surprises me. Um, But there is a lot to unpack in this passage. It it actually is a lot more complicated uh, than it might appear. Uh, But I want to start by asking you, what is it you are seeking right now? What are you seeking? What are you most desiring? What are you wanting out of your life? Because, friends, what we're seeking determines what concerns us most. What we're seeking determines what concerns us most. So what are you most concerned about right now? That reveals probably what you're seeking. So are you concerned mostly with the things of this world or your concerns mostly on the kingdom of God and living righteously before him? That's really what this passage is all about. It's not so much about the psychological state of anxiety. Jesus is concerned with what you are mostly concerned about. That's really what's going on here. What is it you're seeking? What are you living for? What consumes the focus of your life and your mind and your thoughts? And one of the keys to understanding this passage is to look at what is right before it and what is at the end. We've got to look at the whole context uh, because, as Amanda read it for us, this passage begins with a therefore. So is it not connected to what Jesus just said, right? And what Jesus just said, we talked about this two weeks ago, he forbids us from storing up treasures upon the earth and commands us to store up treasure in heaven instead. And we have to choose, Jesus says, who we're going to serve. Is it going to be God, or is it going to be money and the things of this earth? So are we going to serve money? Are we going to live for all that money can buy us, our material needs, our security, pleasures and luxuries, and so on? Or are we going to serve God alone? Are we going to be those who demonstrate our service to God? by moving our wealth into the hands of the poor. That's what begins this passage. And then let's look at the end of this passage. And and, uh, at the end of the section on worry, it's all about our material needs. In verse 32, uh, Jesus says, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus is saying, the world is living for all this material stuff. The world is focusing on their earthly needs and treasures on earth. And they're filled with anxiety and worry because of it. Because they're focused on earthly things. But the Christian, disciples of Jesus, are seeking first the kingdom of God, of storing up treasures on heaven. So it raises a question, well, how is it possible to live in, on this earth 
and to stop focusing on my material needs, to stop focusing upon the things of this world when I'm living here? How can I focus only on the kingdom when I live in this world? Well, we can do this, Jesus is saying, simply because we can trust our Heavenly Father. We can focus solely on the kingdom of God because we can trust God with everything else. That's what he's saying. And if you're going to be a person that seeks first the kingdom of God, which I believe all of you want to, you want to obey Jesus, you want to be someone who seeks first the kingdom, I believe you're going to need three pieces of good news that Jesus gives us in this passage that will empower you to do that. So let's focus on these three truths. Number one is this. We can trust God with our lives. We can trust God with our lives. If you'd like to follow along, this is Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Jesus begins this text by freeing us from concern about our very lives, our very physical existence. And I kind of want to, I want to give you three truths underneath this point of, of why we can trust God with our lives. And, and, and the first is this, our life was given to us by God. Our life was given to us by God. The life we now have was given to us by our Creator. I don't know if you knew this, but you didn't make yourself. <laughs> you didn't create yourself. God made you. God gave you breath. There is nothing you could do to bring about your own existence. Your existence is due to the fact that God willed it. It was his pleasure that you are alive, that you are here. He wanted you here. He made you. He created you. He valued you. He treasures you. You are the apple of his eye. He desired that you would live upon this earth and have a relationship with him. He treasures you. And in verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The early church father, John Chrysostom, he says, The force of the emphasis is on you to indicate covertly how great is the value set upon your personal existence and the concern that God shows for you in particular. Oh, friend, be reminded that you're just not a number. You're not just a random person upon this earth, but God desired creation. For the apple of his eye, he gave you life itself. The second truth we need to remember about why we can trust God with our lives is because our life is sustained by God. It's sustained by God. Not only were you given life by God, you are here right now because of God. Sustaining your very life, your very physical existence. You are here because from the moment you are born up until now, God has provided everything you need to be alive and well. And you're here. God's given us the earth, the elements of nature. And he's already brought us, can we not see this? He's already brought us through countless dangers, toils, troubles, and snares. And who knows how many things God has protected us from that we're not even aware of. How much, God is doing 10,000 things, I heard a pastor say, and we're only aware of about three of them. 
<laughs> I mean, that is how much he's doing. And so remember, Jesus commanded us to not store wealth upon the earth. He points to the birds. And he says, look, the, bir- the birds aren't storing away for their future, right? Birds don't do that. Do they, Alyssa? Birds, birds don't do that. It's our bird, our, our bird doctor over here one day. But they don't store away for their future. And so God says, well, you don't have to do that either. If the birds don't do that, you don't need to do that because the birds can always find the provision God has for them. Are you not more, more valuable than they? So we can trust God to sustain our needs every day. We don't have to secure our future for ourselves because God is going to sustain us. But consider, friends, how the birds are provided for. Martin Luther says, God provides food for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. I would actually say birds probably actually work harder than most of us to provide for their physical existence. But God has made this world with enough for all of us, but we must work hard, we must harvest, we must be diligent. I mean, Scripture charges us to work diligently, to provide for ourselves, to provide for our families. Sloth is one of the deadly sins, and laziness is condemned all throughout Scripture. So we can't hear Jesus just saying, just do nothing and don't worry about it. The provision is out there, but we're also charged to work. And even prudently taking care of some future needs is commended in Scripture. It would be foolish not to think about some things we might need in the future, though we can never forget how much more foolish it would be to focus upon the things of earth and not focus upon the kingdom of heaven. That's the main foolish thing we need to be worried about. And Scott McKnight puts it this way. He says, perhaps the best way to think about this is that Jesus doesn't call us to be careless about provisions, but to be carefree. One of the tricky parts about this passage that I told you I was really wrestling with this, and one of the tricky parts for me, and maybe some of you, maybe a few of you have had a different experience than I have, but the things that Jesus tells us not to worry about, I don't think I've ever worried about in my entire life. I don't think I've ever had to worry. There's not been a day in my existence where I've worried about, am I going to have something to eat today? Am I going to have something to drink today? Am I going to have clothing to wear today? I've never had a day like that in my entire life. These words were directed to a vastly different society than in which we find ourselves in America in 2022. This is why I agree with the words from Ron Sider He says what 99% of North Americans need to hear 99% of the time is to give to everyone who begs from you and to sell your possessions. I mean, we're typically, have you ever been worried about not having enough? Maybe you have. I never have. Most of us already have way more than enough to sustain our lives. So we can thank God that he's been our sustainer. We can easily thank God. God, you've given us enough. You've You've given me everything I need and more. Thank you, God. But then, God, also give me the grace now to be an abundant giver of out of the abundance you've given me. Oh, Lord, protect me from storing up wealth upon the earth because you've, you've given me such abundant provisions. Pray that you don't fall into this sin and into judgment because of it. So our life, it's sustained by God. It's sustained by Him. However, this does not mean that we're going to live forever, that our future is totally secure from all danger. We know this. This is why I have one more point on this, is that our life 
is on loan from God. A life is given to us by God, sustained by God, it's on loan from God. However long we live belongs to God. Jesus says in verse 27, Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? In other words, there's nothing you can do to add to your life's existence. There's nothing you can do to absolutely determine how long you will live upon the earth. Even the healthiest people, I've known people in my own life, some of the healthiest people succumb to tragedies that, are, that, are, that make no sense. Now, this is morbid to, morbid to think about, I know. But if we're to live our lives focused on the kingdom of God, we have to start realizing how foolish it is to store up for an earthly future that may not even happen. We may not even get it. God can demand our life back at any moment. In fact, this is one of the things that Jesus teaches in the Gospel of Luke. And I think this passage also sheds some light on the passage we're looking at today. In fact, the words you just heard in the Scripture reading, they come right after the parable of the rich fool in the Gospel of Luke. So they're situated a little bit differently. And this parable goes like this. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So this this part in this passage where it says, this very night your life will be demanded from you. This is a way of saying, God is requesting back what he loaned out. If you look at the wording and the linguistics of it, that's what it's about. We owe our lives to God. He gave us life. Our life is sustained by him. We owe our very existence, our very being to God. He owns us. We belong to him. Our lives are just on loan from him. And he can demand our life back at any moment. Our days are in his hand. We don't know how much time we'll have. That is something you absolutely cannot control. We can't control that, can we? But for the Christian... The uncertainty of this is not a cause for anxiety. It's not a cause for worry because we're in our Father's hand. We're in His hand. As Paul says in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And he essentially says there's nothing in creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we can trust our loving Father with our very lives, our very existence. He gave us life. He is sustaining your life right now. And one day, He will bring you securely into eternal life through the grace of our Lord Jesus. So the future, it's already already secure in Him, friends. You don't have to worry about it. He's got it. He's got it. We can trust Him. And this fact allows you to focus your entire life on the kingdom because God is taking care of the rest of your life. And that brings me to my second point. We can trust God to meet our needs. We can trust God to meet our needs. 
Jesus mentions the flowers of the field and how they're clothed. He talks about the pagans running after all these things, right? Uh, And the Father knows that we need them. Now, Jesus is talking about the basic provisions of life, the things we need. We can absolutely trust God to provide for those. But sometimes, don't we do this? We confuse what we want or what we think we need with what God knows we need. And we can trust our loving Father to provide what we truly need when we truly need it. Now, I have to admit, this is another part of the passage that I was kind of worrying about. That was kind of tricky for me. How do, I, how do we understand this? How do we understand this passage in light of the great need many Christians have around the world for their food, for their water, for their clothing? We know that this is a fact of human existence. So I was trying to process this. Now, one thought is, well, there is often a delay between the lack and the provision, right? Again, birds aren't fed constantly from a feeding tube from heaven. They have to go searching to find the provisions God's established in the earth. And a second thought is that Jesus intended us, he intended for us to meet his people's needs. He intended for us, his people, to meet his people's needs. Now, I think Jesus could say this because he was saying it to people in his kingdom. In other words, in my kingdom, you're never going to lack what you need. And do we not see this in the book of Acts after Jesus ascends to heaven? It says the people, the, the church, they sold their property, they sold their stuff, and they gave to anybody, anybody who had need. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Isn't that amazing? That's the kingdom. That's what the church is supposed to be. And this is what, if, this is, if a local congregation can accomplish this, that's amazing. And we, but we can't stop right there. Because this is not just for local congregations. We are to have concern for our brothers and sisters around the world. You know, I think one thing we often forget about with the Apostle Paul's ministry is that he essentially was a fundraiser. It's like he was a fundraiser for a nonprofit. Do you remember this? Paul's collection for the Lord's people? He spends a lot of time about this in his letters in the book of Acts. Essentially, he was going around to the churches, all the Gentile churches all across the Mediterranean, churches that were far away from Jerusalem. And he was telling them about a need far away. I mean, this is back before, like, technology, friends. Like, this is way in Jerusalem. We can't show you any pictures of how the people are suffering, but you have to trust me that the people in Jerusalem, they are suffering a famine and they need your help. And Paul collected money from all the churches and brought it to Jerusalem. That's one of the last things he did before he went off the trial and died. And as he was collecting this, he reminded the church how Jesus became poor for their sakes. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. 
Does that not astound you? Paul says it so simply. This is the goal. This is the goal. Equality amongst God's people. Equality amongst his people. That in his kingdom, there would be equality and equal concern for the rich and the poor. And that those who have extra would supply the lack of those who are in need. And Jesus expects this of his kingdom people. Did he not essentially say the same thing in Matthew 25? Remember that parable about what Jesus says that when he comes again to judge the world, he separates, separates the sheep and the goats, and the sheep are those who gave his brothers and sisters when they were hungry something to eat, thirsty something to drink, when they were strangers they took them in, when they were naked they gave them clothing, and much more. When they were in prison they visited them, when they were sick they helped them. And those who are condemned to eternal judgment are those who didn't do those things. And the fact is there are many Christians around the world, many people of God, crying out to God to meet their basic needs. And I believe God is intending to answer those prayers through his people. God wants to answer those prayers through his people who believe it's more important to store treasure on heaven than on earth. God wants to meet these needs through his people who believe that they can give their extra away because they believe God is always going to take care of them. God wants to meet these needs through his people who believe it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. God wants to meet these needs through his people who believe that the gospel is good news to the poor. Church, do you want to be that? That's where you can say amen. Thanks, Pastor Danny, for helping me with that one. Those on the treat. I think probably all of us can say, maybe not all of us, most of us, I have everything I need to live. My basic needs are met. We're not really worried about our basic needs to live, to survive. That's really not our pressing question. What actually really concerns me or worries me is will we, who have more than enough, meet the needs of those who don't? Will we be who Jesus calls us to be? That's what I'm worried about. What Jesus is going to say to me when I stand before him on the day of judgment. He's going to say, yes, you were one of those. You had more than enough and you were faithful with your more than enough. That's what worries me. I think it should worry all of us. Be, or be concerned about that. We can trust God to meet our needs and therefore we can focus on the kingdom of God. And finally, the third gospel truth we need is we can trust God with today's, prob- today's troubles. We can trust God with today's troubles. Jesus concludes this section by saying in verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, at first glance, when you read this passage, it can come across as totally aloof, to the world's problems, uh, just kind of this positive, I don't have to worry about anything. I mean, that's great. And I think we can have that confidence in our Father. But Jesus ends very realistically. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, here's the truth from Jesus Christ himself. Every day you will have trouble. Put that on your coffee mug. (laughs) Every day you're going to have trouble. Today you're going to have trouble from Jesus. You're going to have trouble today. (laughs) Every day you're going to have some type of trouble, some type of thing to confront, something to do. 
Scholar Brian Blount reminds us of how Jesus begins and ends the Sermon on the Mount. And he says the Beatitudes detail the daily troubles of poverty, sorrow, brutality, injustice, lack of mercy, impurity of heart, war, persecution of the righteous, and even martyrdom. And the double parable at the end of the sermon outlines the unpredictability of nature, torrential rains and flood and disasters, storms. Jesus proclaims that in the face of such disasters, God's benevolence allows the world to endure and the possibility exists of finding a way through it all. There is a way. I would add to this, just in the passage before, Jesus talked about the possibility, right, of moth and rust destroying, vermins destroying your wealth, and and stealing your stuff. I mean, Jesus is not unaware of trouble in this world. The promise of his provision doesn't prevent trouble. But I believe Jesus and even in the face of all that, Jesus wants us to have confidence in our Father in a very chaotic world. We can have confidence in our Father even in a chaotic world. Because friends, you can't control that stuff anyway. You can't control whether any of that's going to happen. So you might as well throw yourself upon the only changeable factor in the whole universe. And that's Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only one you can trust. And so whatever the future may bring, we know cannot separate us from his love. And we remember that whatever may happen, God is at work redeeming it for our good in accordance to his purposes and divine will. So all the future stuff, all that future stuff that could happen, that's all in God's hands. My focus is on today's trouble, seeking first the kingdom. And any trouble, any trial that might come up today, That's ultimately an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow, an opportunity for my faith to be stretched. It's an opportunity for perseverance and hope and character to rise up in my life as God gives me the grace to do it. And that's the truth. God will give you the grace to face what you're facing today. God gives you sufficient grace to face whatever it is you have to face It's this confidence in God's grace that allows us to make it through the daily troubles of life. I like what the theologian Jürgen Moltmann says. He says, what anxiety and hope actually have in common is a sense of what is possible. In anxiety, we anticipate possible danger. In hope, we anticipate possible deliverance. We have confidence that God's deliverance is going to come every day. His grace is going to come every day. We have faith in His grace every day. Even if we don't get the outcome we're hoping for, we have grace that we have the trust that God will get us through it. So we focus only on the problems that are before us and the strength God provides to face those problems. And friends, this is, I hope you know, this is like the real stuff of life. You know, a few years, a few years ago, most of you know, we, we lost our daughter, Jessie at 27 weeks in the womb. It seemed like the future was totally bleak. Uh, That time was like a black cloud over our lives. And there are a lot of what-ifs and the future and why. All these questions start to flood your mind. And I have to tell you that one of the things that helped get us through that time was just this, this constant idea, this constant refrain that the Lord's going to get me through today. 
that, I, that I'm, I'm standing on the ground, I have, I have the ground underneath my feet, and God's going to get me through today. I can face today. I, I'm here to testify it was one of the worst things of my life, our lives. But God gave us grace every day. He didn't give us grace for five years or 10 years, or 20 years, but he gave us grace every day to help us, help us get through that time. So with God's help, we face today. Just as we pray for daily bread, God gives us grace daily. And John Wesley says this, with the grace that you have now, you cannot withstand the temptations which you have not. But when the temptation comes, the grace will come. In greater trials, you will have greater strength. When sufferings abound, the consolations of God will, in the same proportion, abound also. So that in every situation, the grace of God will be sufficient for you. He doth not suffer you to be tempted today above that you are able to bear, but in every temptation he will make a way to escape. As thy days, so thy strength shall be. Ah, oh, hallelujah on that one, right? So friends, don't worry about tomorrow, what may or may not happen. Whatever happens, God will supply what you need when the time comes. So let me recap. We can focus first and solely on the kingdom of God. We can seek it first because we trust God with our lives we trust him to meet all of our needs, and we can trust him with today's troubles. Friends, you have a God who loves you, who made you, he's sustaining you, he gave you your very existence, he's watching over your life, he is working to meet your needs, he's redeeming everything for your good, and he's giving you the grace to face each day. Isn't that good news? And God calls us to return this love with a life that's focused on his kingdom first. And friends, this is actually a call to freedom. If you wish to be free from the concerns of this world, then wholly concern yourself with the kingdom of Jesus. Because what you're seeking will determine what concerns you most. So what do you, really, if you, what do you want to be concerned about? You want to be free from the concerns of this earth? Then focus on the concerns of the kingdom of heaven. And friends, don't delay in doing this. This is about today. Today we have troubles, but today we're invited into the kingdom. And sometimes we think, you know what? I'll start seeking God first when I get to this season of life, when I get less busy, when I don't have this going on, when I finally graduate, when I finally get that job, when I finally get to this new place, when I'm, when I'm less busy, then I'll go about seeking the kingdom of heaven first. Oh, friend, don't be so foolish. Don't let the devil trap you into his trap. It is foolishness to bank on an unknown future to delay what God is calling you to do today. Today, you must seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. And if you do that, the promise is all your needs will be provided for. You don't even have to worry about it. So let God and his kingdom be your all-consuming concern. Be like that, that, that man who finds a treasure in his field and he sells everything he has to go get the treasure of the kingdom of God. Everything we are should be about the kingdom of God and seeking his righteousness. And if that's not you, then why delay? Why delay? Make it your great ambition to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will supply all your needs.